the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. 602-508-0960. Listening to a lot of radio today. I was listening to various analyses of what's going on in Israel. I was glad we covered it uh, pretty thoroughly with Brandon and Ariel on Monday and Tuesday. If you missed Ariel Davidson's interview, you can get it on Twitter or at our website. Uh, it was yesterday in our second hour. She's as good as uh, analysis. Uh, she's as good an analysis. She is as good an analyst as you're going to find. Uh, and we will return to it. I want to ask uh, some of our guests a little bit about it. Uh, and I'll say some words uh, in the next hour on it as well. We can talk about it, too, if you want. But I wanted to mention something that has been ongoing and plaguing. And I raised it with Lewis Hallman yesterday. And that is, as we emerge from the coronavirus hysteria and mediation campaigns, um, will there be an accounting and there won't be. I'm not even fully convinced we fully emerge. I'm curious, Bill, as to your perspective. Do you think we will get to a day of normalcy? And by normalcy, I mean you don't see masks? We're going to have to fight for every inch. You don't think we'll have it, huh? Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um our friends at Issues and Insights are talking about this today. I was raising it yesterday. They're talking about it today, and they put it in the form of a question, which is, when will Joe Biden apologize for his Neanderthal smear? Do you remember the Neanderthal smear? Uh, you know, the welcoming, not treating your opponents as your enemies comment by President Joe Biden about the state of Texas. More than two months ago, President Joe Biden, using a slur a Republican could never get away with, criticized the decisions by red state governors to lift mask-wearing mandates and reopen. He not only insulted the people of those states, he was wrong. Where's the apology? You won't see one. Are we okay on time, by the way? Perfect. Perfect. On March 2nd, thank you, on March 2nd, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, both Republicans, not only lifted their state's mask rules, they also killed business capacity limits. Remember, businesses and restaurants could only open by 25, 50, or whatever percent capacity. The next day, Biden, who seems to be as devoted to his mask as an infant to a pacifier, felt it appropriate to compare Texans and Mississippians to cavemen. Quote, the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask, said Biden, whose cerebral activity has failed to live up to his lifetime of flap-jawed bragging about his intelligence. Unwilling to let an opportunity pass, 
without showing the world just how righteous they are. A number of stars offered their professional opinions. But what happened to Texas and Mississippi? What happened to Texas and Mississippi? Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment because we are um, getting our regular call, which we are delighted to have, from David Schweiker, Congressman David Schweiker, representing 6th District of Arizona. How are you, David? Fine, and I appreciate your patience and my tardiness. Um, we are having a meeting here in Freedom Caucus, and I was running around trying to find this. Oh, oh no worries. I, I, will, I will never interrupt a meeting of the Freedom Caucus. And no, well, it, it, this, with all the crap that's going on here in Washington, you know, it's sometimes it's your only chance to talk to people who are sane. I get it. I get it. But you can call me, and we'll be close. It'll be close. It'll be close. Uh, <laughs> David, you're, 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 um, you, you put out an interesting tweet today on something we were talking a little bit about last week, which was income inequality. You want to say a word or two about that? Sure. Okay. If you and I were to pick up any um, television show, left show, think of the last decade of Democrats attacking Republicans, and their key talking point was income inequality. It's not fair. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer which has been pretty much true, except for after we did tax reform. The tax reform that the president and those was in the Republican Ways and Means, we did, there was a renaissance of economic growth that dramatically benefited the workers in this country, and particularly the working poor. The working poor saw their wages go up so fast in 2018 and 19 much faster than the rich, that income inequality for the first time, I mean, in a true curve in decades, was shrinking. Not because the rich were getting poorer. They weren't. It's just the poor were getting richer much faster. And what's so frustrating is we demonstrated you could do it by getting regulations right, by getting the tax code right, getting trade fairly right, and the left will never give us credit for actually being the ones that delivered on what they used to say was the most important thing to them. That's right. And we can go through a lot of a lot of different areas where that has become true. That might explain <clears throat> some of their anger. Is it resentment over Republican? It's. It, I always thought that the re- <clears throat> resentment, <clears throat> anger, bitterness against the Republican Party when they achieve, as we have done here over the last few years, David – it's much the same as that against America uh, from left or Marxism, Marxist progressives. It's a resentment over success. Uh, it's well, but Republicans but, but it's did what Democrats bragged about wanting to do. Yeah, we found a way. To, but remember, there's a different standard. Leftists are judged, and if there's a Democrat listening, tell me I'm wrong. Are judged by their intentions, by their feelings by their good thoughts. Republicans are judged by actually delivering, by actually accomplishing. We have sort of different cultural standards as the way we, as conservatives, liberals, Mm -hmm. and we're very proud judges on the fact that we made poor people much less poor, that we actually created tremendous opportunity. We raised the value of people's labor. And part of my intense frustration, even today, in our hearings, is the Democrats are going down a path that is going to crush the poor. They're going to crush the working poor. 
and they're going to engage in like this theatrics of, well, we're going to raise taxes on rich people, wink, wink, nod, nod, but we're going to leave all sorts of really smart ways where they can hide their wealth, particularly the uber-wealthy that finances the Democrat Party. Um, it, much of what we're looking at is theater. And instead of really actually giving a darn about people and making the country you know, truly prosperous so we can take care of our families, we can have retirement, we can have a future. It's just, it's just a remarkable thing when you think about the direction we were going in, David, and what the direction has precipitously moved to in the last four months, whether you're talking about um, an immigration problem that we had had our hands around, whether you're talking about gas prices, whether you're talking about flare-ups in the Middle East, unemployment, inflation. I mean, we're, we're, we're on a quick and bad trajectory. It, look, this, <laughs> what's going on at this moment makes me very nervous. Okay. Um, but, you know, gas prices are going to come and go, but they shouldn't be artificially raised. And when you start shutting down pipelines and start shutting down, you know, now I understand one's a cyber attack, but Keystone was a political policy. Right about to dramatically raise the regulatory burden. Um, it's, and a lot of it isn't smart regulation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you actually care about methane, turns out there's some really smart things you can do there. But none of those um, you'll hear from the Democrats because they would make it so you can continue to have hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. But my intense frustration is look what's going on at the border. Have you heard any of the political class get up and talk about saying what's going on in the border is a travesty, but it's also a travesty for the working poor in our own country because we're about to wipe out the progress they've made in their wages. We're about to devalue their labor because we're going to flood the market with other labor that has similar skill sets. If we're going to be judged on our, our compassion, Judges on our compassion, but stop making up, you know, lying about, um, you know, what it does to our own society. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've often I've often been concerned about studies on income disparities because I, I I've never thought they took into account futures and they counted people once at one place in their lifetimes. But what you're putting it, out it's, there it's is great. It's a complicated yeah. subject. Yeah. It's a great one. You and I should have some time. Yeah, let's do more on what. It. What makes us rich and what makes us poor? Fabulous. David Schweiker, go back to your meeting. Say hi to the gang for me. All right. God bless you, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Want to put in a word for one of our sponsors, helps bring you this show. That's my good friend, Solar Sandy. If you're tired of the power increases from your utility companies and contemplate and go on solar, Solar Sandy's the only way to go. She's brought integrity back to solar in Arizona, and she's actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar. You do it the right way, and Solar Sandy has the formula. Check out the testimonials on our website at AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. If you sign up with Solar Sandy right now, she will pay your power bills for one year 
and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. You can do appointments by Zoom or in person. Again, go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's right. AskSolarSandy.com, and she will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and a $1,000 signing bonus. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. I was in the middle of telling you about the apology that won't be coming uh, based on the editorial from Issues and Insights when President Joe Biden referred to Mississippi and Texas as Neanderthals for lifting their mask mandates. Um, in April of last year, they weren't they, – Biden wasn't alone. In April of last year, for instance, the Washington Post published an op-ed by Dana Milbank with the headline, quote, Georgia leads the race to become America's number one death destination after Brian Kemp, Republican governor, allowed private businesses to reopen last year. A few months later, Paul Krugman of the New York Times tweeted that, quote, reality is coming for white supremacists driving golf carts, close quote, linking to a Bloomberg story about the COVID-19 surge in red Florida that was beginning to reach the older and more vulnerable residents. It was an obvious shot at the Republican state and Governor Ron DeSantis, who had been a target of the Democratic media machine because of his less-than-tyrannical policies. Well, let's now look at the facts, or what did Warner Wolf say? Let's go to the videotape. When Biden made his media-approved statement, the seven-day moving average of new cases in Texas was 7,088. As of Sunday, it had fallen to 2,215. Texas seven-day moving average for virus fatalities on March 3 was 116. That's when Joe Biden made his comment. The number has fallen to 41. In Mississippi, the seven-day moving average for new cases fell from 477 to 182 and from 21 deaths to one over the same period. Despite predictions of mass death, the virus didn't burn through Georgia like William Tecumseh Sherman, as Dana Milbank wrote in the Washington Post. The seven-day average for deaths was 42 on April 21, the day his rant was posted. This week, it is half that. Florida daily cases topped at 17,568 in January, right in the teeth of the flu season. 17,000. They're now down to 3,000. Daily deaths spiked at about 190 in both early August and late January. They're now down at 66. Huge, dramatic, precipitous even falls of cases and fatalities in the states that opened up earlier. Now let's compare these numbers to those in mandated self-suffocation states, such as, say, California where for many, mask wearing is an opening for virtue signaling and which was praised as a model showing how to beat the coronavirus before the virus spread like one of the state's famous wildfires. The seven-day average for daily cases was about 44,000 at Christmas time, an all-time high in California. Current numbers are 1,723 and new cases, 68 deaths. The policy-making lesson is that Neanderthal thinking 
performed no worse and in many cases better than the enlightened thinking that gave us the masked up, locked down states. Not that the Democrats and their spokesmen in the media will ever admit it, nor will they ever act responsibly and civilly and issue apologies for the mocking ridicule they so proudly dished out while they were telling us they were here to unify America. But maybe something good will come from all of this. Rather than outfit the fully vaccinated, Biden with a mask for public appearances, his handlers will instead hopefully put some other form of muzzle on him. Um, that, that's, that's what's happening in the states. That's what's happening in the states. California v. Texas, New York v. Florida. And while Texas and Florida were the whippy boys and were being made sport and fun of, as were their residents for, oh, nay, an entire year, basically, their numbers are in and better. And the governors of those states are not under federal Department of Justice investigation sexual harassment claims by members of their own staff and party or facing a recall. Follow the science. Follow the science. People have said it's political science, you know, and it doesn't work for me when they say we're following political science rather than medical science because because in truth, there are doctors who say, two different things. That's why you often will get a second opinion. That's point one. But point two is I do want people to follow political science. I want them to follow the political science that works. I want them to follow the kind of political science that Winston Churchill taught about, which is the first duty of the political science scientist is to see things as they truly are which is what many of us did at the outbreak of this virus, which is what Governor DeSantis did, which is what Governor Abbott did, which is what some of us, myself and other writers at Fox News and Heather and Dennis did. There is good political science out there. It's the science that does not divorce facts and values. It's the science that takes into account the whole of society and the whole of the human being, and the whole of the economy. It's the kind of science that doesn't put one kind of health above another. In other words, does not divide between physical health and mental health, because it's all the health of a human person or the health of the body politic. It's the kind of science that looks at truly the interests and the best interests of the children and doesn't punish them for disease that affects the obese and elderly, which is not their fault. There is good political science here to follow. It's just that the media and the Democrats won't admit to it, show it, or in many cases, allow you to even read it. Lots been going on in Arizona here, um, some under the radar, some above, with regard to the audit that's going on at the 2020 election. State Senator Wendy Rogers on deck to join us to fill us in on the latest going on. Goings on. The latest goings on. Passers by, attorneys general, and goings on. And Wendy Rogers. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a privilege to welcome back to the show State Senator Wendy Rogers, representing Arizona's 6th Legislative District. She is, among other things, the vice chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee and uh, wanted to give us an update, and I wanted her to give us an update on uh, this thing you have heard about a little bit here and there, sometimes more interestingly nationally than locally, and that's the election audit that is taking place. Senator Colonel Rogers, welcome back. How are you? Well, great to be with you, Seth. It's a real uh, privilege to be on the show again. It's been a few years. It's been way uh, too long. My fault. <laughs> My <laughs> no fault. Sweat. But you're doing great uh, work, Wendy. You really are. Well, well, thank you. Uh, just to kind of give folks a little bit of background, I actually represent a big swath of northern Arizona, uh, all the way from Williams over to Holbrook, down through uh, Heber Overgard, Snowflake Taylor, Sholo, Payson, uh, the Verde Valley, Cottonwood, Cornville, uh, Camp Verde, uh, Clarkdale, and then up through all of Sedona, and then where I live, Flagstaff. So it cuts across uh, four counties. I am the only brand-new uh, Republican state senator who's never been in the legislature before. So that has kind of uh, lent uh, sort of a fresh set of eyes, if you will, to to things uh, political. I'm, you know, I ask a lot of questions because I'm new, but of course I have been a business owner for many years in uh, Arizona, and uh, I have a military background as having been a uh, heavy jet uh, aircraft pilot in the Air Force. So I come in and and ask a lot of questions. We're very proud of the Second Amendment bill that uh, I got passed that Governor Ducey signed Friday, uh, which accords essential uh, business status to uh, gun stores and ammo shops uh, during an emergency. And then my good friend and neighbor, State Representative Kwong Nguyen, who's over in Prescott, uh, amended it to include um, gun manufacturers. So we're very proud of that. He and I, two freshman rural state legislators, got that across. And then the other thing I'm really excited about is my colleague, uh, Senator Michelle Eugenti Rita, who got the big bill passed uh, and turned around and signed by the governor within, I think, an hour of us voting on it on the Senate floor, uh, the uh, early voter list now that uh, uh, mandates that you have to have voted at least one time in the last uh, four elections, uh, two primaries and two generals, uh, to remain on the now-called active early voter list. And that won't take effect, uh, obviously, uh, for another couple of years, but it's a big step forward. It's really up to us, the state Senate, and if you had asked me, Seth, when I began running um, for the state Senate uh, two years ago, if I would be in such a role and that the state legislatures across the country, Arizona in particular, would be so pivotal, so integral, I, one would never have known that. And no, no, absolutely. Told. No, absolutely. <laughs> but one yeah, of the I things you're telling me. This isn't normal. No, one <laughs> of the ahead. things you're telling me, though, and I'm, 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 I'd like to um, just make sure I, I, I have this right because it's a delight to hear if I do. You, you were part and parcel of hearing everything I heard uh, basically from November 4th until 
I don't know, uh, end of February, beginning of March, let's say, uh, Senator Rogers, that um, if we're going to prevent the kind of shenanigans that we saw take place on November 3rd, uh, this really is going to be the responsible responsibility of state legislators across the country, state legislatures across the country, which are uh, thankfully dominated by Republicans at this point. Sounds like you guys took it seriously and have done a lot to shore up our system. Am I right? Yes, sir. We're we're really working at it as we speak. We have a very thin majority in the state Senate, 16 Republicans, 14 Democrats. Uh, my victory in northern Arizona was um, – uh, concerning, and uh, we won. I won my race by six points, yeah. so that was really a relief. Hold, hold that uh, thought. Can state. you stay a minute? I have to take a hard commercial break here. Are you good for sure. another? Okay, good because we um, we want to get into more of this. I am so glad to know. You. I didn't realize you represented Clarkdale. That's one of my favorite places. Such an interesting oh, yeah. history. The train ride around there is just fantastic. William Clark, Clark County, Nevada, is named after him. I know too much about this. I'll let Wendy Rogers take a beat. You take a beat. We'll be right back with more from Wendy Rogers on what we're doing to shore up and ensure election integrity in Arizona, including an update on the audit. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have State Senator Wendy Rogers with us, representing uh, Arizona's 6th uh, Legislative District, which is uh, quite expansive, as she was telling us, and uh, representing a lot of our interests when it comes to, among other things, election integrity and uh, going forward, but knowing uh, that our elections here in Arizona are secure. Um, Senator Rogers, you were just telling me before the break, and happy to let you go into it a little bit more if you wanted to, just some of the things that y'all have done as state legislators to um, to strengthen up our election system so that we don't have a repeat of uh, last year. Uh, we know well, the Constitution yes. gives you the power. You guys are taking it and doing it. I, this is great. Absolutely. And as I mentioned, we have a very thin majority in the state Senate, 16 Republican, 14 Democrat, yeah. and over in the state House, 31 Republican, 29 Democrat. Yeah. So yeah. all of these election integrity measures that we've been uh, trying to get through have been party line votes all the way down. And so uh, the other day, we got a text that said, hey, if you want to senators go see ken bennett and get a tour of the audit so i got myself down there i didn't my colleagues laughed at me because i'm from flagstaff and i didn't realize the coliseum was so close to the capitol uh like 1.8 miles away go up to mcdowell and turn right so that's what i did two days ago and i spent over two hours uh in the coliseum getting briefed by none other than the ceo of Cyber Ninjas, oh, and then spending a great deal of time with Ken. And so this is what I wanted to kind of paint the picture Good. of. You see these seven cameras looking mm-hmm. down on the on the floor, uh, but until you see it up close and personal, do you realize how finely tuned and uh, precision-oriented this whole operation is? Cyber Ninjas is more or less the, the, the prime contractor, and then you have these other companies, uh, running the various facets of the audit. So if you look out um, from the entrance of 
the Coliseum floor. On your right, you'll see cages. Uh, there are two uh, full-length cages. One has the boxes of ballots that haven't been opened yet, and then they have sort of a transition cage where the boxes are brought and then obtained uh, uh, from, and then you look and see all these tables. Okay, so each table is colored either yellow, green, or I think red, and five people sit at each table, and each table is sort of like a, a lazy Susan. And each of the five people has his own uh, sort of lean-back board that he or she can put the uh, ballot on to. So the first person takes, I guess you could call him the leader of the table, takes the ballot, looks at it, makes sure it is as it should be, and then gives it to one, two, and then three people each look at it. So there's a double check and a triple check. And then the fifth person takes the ballot and puts it back into the box in the order uh, to which it came. So then those ballots, maybe that box fills up with whatever, 100 or 200, goes to another table toward the entrance where I was standing with Ken Bennett, and they are tallied onto a roster that's color-coded. And I happen to see an old friend who... I was a first responder uh, volunteer working at that table, and I said hi to her briefly. But that is to say that these volunteers are all uh, vetted very carefully because uh, they already have security clearances oh, uh, ostensibly from having been, you know, first responders or, or military oh, perfect. members. Perfect, perfect. And they work five-hour shifts, yeah. um, one into the next, and they all check in at the entrance area uh, with a uh, line badge that is given to them for the day. Everything is extremely secure. Uh, You know, I have an eye for this kind of thing, having been in the military for 20 years, having flown aircraft, having been on a flight line, and knowing what... uh, Even in the private sector, in your business, you know what security is about, I know. so Absolutely. And so this was very interesting to me, and I have to say... The most fascinating aspect was the table with cameras Mm -hmm. that have microscopic ability to look at each ballot to determine if the fibers in the ballot are made from wood or I know there's a rumor out there that ballots were shipped in from overseas that were made of bamboo. Uh This process can determine that. That's amazing. We have that technology. I had no idea. Wow. Okay. Right. Nor did I. And it also determined if the oval, the bubble, was filled in by a human or not. Oh, it can tell. Wow. Wow. Uh, By by the indentation. It also determines if the alignment uh, of the print on the paper is proper, and it can also determine if a fold had been in the paper. Amazing. And then all of this data, all these data points, go into this huge rack of computers standing in the middle, which holds one petabyte, P as in Papa, petabyte. Right. And so I was was blown away. Wow. And so I want everyone who's listening to understand that Arizonans should be very proud of being at the pointy tip of the sword to ensure that this election was run properly. And if there are anomalies, then we can 
legislate to fix these anomalies because as the CEO of uh, Cyber Ninja told me, he said, Senator Rogers, I want you to tell people that every ballot must be accounted for just like a family checkbook. He said, if you take, for example, 10,000 people who voted, then there should be 10,000 yep. pieces of paper. Yep. And then there should be 10,000 tallies in the voting system. Yep. And then there should be 10,000 posted in the official results. And he said, if you, if you describe it to people uh, this way, uh, you know, someone comes in to vote. You check in at the registration desk. They confirm your ID and your eligibility. Then they hand you a ballot after they print it off. Uh, then you fill it out. You feed it into the tabulator, which is this, you know, big machine we've all seen. And uh, then as it is counted, its results are uh, put onto a compact flashcard. So depending on the, how the tabulator, this machine you fed it into, is configured, uh, you know, then mischief could occur. I mean, it could get uh, the info could be then dialed over a phone line it could be connected to a network or the data points could be put onto a card, uh, which is physically then transported over what they call an air gap. Uh, these are the, these are the forensic aspects that are being delved into. Senator and, um, Rogers, you know, I only have another minute. This is great. I am so glad you've done this dive and, and given us this, uh, this report. You always take serious things seriously. I'm glad you did this. Do we have a sense of when we'll know something, uh, or is that kind of up in the air right now, just based on the workload? Sometime in June. Great. 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 All right. Stay with it, um, Senator, and feel free to uh, reach out to me anytime we have something new on this that you'd like to get out on. I I love the level of detail you took to explain this, because if people were to just read the Arizona Republic or uh, other naysayers, they would just think that this is uh, uh, Keystone Cops. And what you're explaining is something far better than actually what happened on November 3rd, as far as I can understand it. Thank you. Well, yes, and, you. and follow me on Twitter, Wendy Rogers AZ, or Facebook. We are keeping up on all this, Wendy Rogers Arizona, right. on Facebook. At Wendy Rogers AZ for Twitter. Hey, Colonel, Senator, thank you, always. Thank you, Seth. God you bless. God bless you. So you say tune it up or twain it up? Turn it up. Tourniquet, maybe, he's saying. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960. I, uh, yes, I wanted to talk about this. Thank you, Charles, for sending it to me. I heard Mike Gallagher talking about it this morning. Uh, We have lines at the gas pumps, tension in the Middle East, missiles flying in Israel, crime increasing in New York City, crisis on the border, But, you know, no nasty tweets. Let's go through this importantly and seriously, though, shall we? I think it's a uh, it's a case study in um, two things about politics. One is that to govern is to choose, choose rightly, choose wrongly. Uh, And consequences usually are not so immediately evident as we have been fortunate to see them. But we have been choosing wrongly for four months now on immigration, the Middle East, and obviously the the unemployment and inflation uh, riven economy we're looking at. 
Uh, I didn't mention gas lines, but I'm happy to because of the point that this looks like it was an attack from a Russian entity. If it was, what was all that talk about protecting us against Joe, uh, against Russia from, from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democrats? Failure is what you saw here, leading in part to gas lines. Gas prices were already growing up, going up. We went from energy independence for the first time in 50 years to gas shortages in four months, as Charles writes. Of course, if you cancel the construction of a major pipeline on the very first day of your job and then a few months later find yourself scrambling to get another pipeline back in operation, you might just be Joe Biden. Um, But this is a hell of a turn that is boating to look something very much like the 1970s. I, I, I thought Donald Trump would be, as to Barack Obama, what Reagan was to Carter. It may not have been that. It may I may not have that right. We may be waiting for our Ronald Reagan presidency coming up in four years with Joe Biden being much more like Jimmy Carter and one term. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.